Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello, sports fans. <laughs> sports fans. What's going on? That was my tribute to the great Santini. Is there any other Santini? Well, not that I know of, but the one we do know of is great. Yeah, that's great. Speaking of uh, Duval, you know, you reminded me of the Godfather, as he always does. Um, a colleague of mine was telling me that, that they might be doing another Godfather film. Mm, the Godfather 4? I don't know. It might be a pre-prequel or a mid-quill a post, or a NyQuil. Or a post-poquill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that, based on one of the Mario Puzo books that was written post-mortem. Wow. <laughs> it's sort of like the Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy. It's <laughs> like know. 17 books now. But it was one of those deals where um, they might be making a movie that doesn't fit into the whole mythology, and it was written after the original author's death. So you have to actually go back in time to get a ticket. That's right. So what else is going on? Well, you know, I saw a ton of films. Uh, I mentioned the one to you that I saw, Walk the Line, the kind of Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash story. Yep, yep, a good film. I really liked that. I thought that was great. I had a good music angle, got some of the history right, some great singing by uh, Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I liked it. And, I, you know, I saw another film, too. When I went to South America, I missed one of the films at Munson, so I went and rented that the other day. Did you see Transamerica? It's got Felicity Huffman in it. I did not see that. Are you familiar with it at all? I am familiar with it. Yeah, it's kind of about a, a man born a man, but whatever genetically is going on with people who have this issue, you know, they feel they're more of a woman, and then they have the sexual reassignment <laughs> surgery. It's, that sounds like something that happens in China. <laughs> Used they to be go to just their re-education camps. It's the uh, sex change gulag, actually. No, but uh, Felicity Huffman's character felt more comfortable as a woman and ended up... Well, what's great about this film is that it explores those kinds of things, which are uncomfortable things for a lot of people, but I think people should be exposed to it because these people exist. And right. the other part of the film that's cool is that it's a road trip movie. And as I've said out loud on this show many times, I like road trip movies. <laughs> Little Miss uh, Sunshine meets, um, I don't know... A knife. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think That's Felicity funny. Huffman got an Academy Award nomination for that. I, I think she did, yes. Yeah, it's a great film. Check it out. Transamerica. Let's see. I have the paper on it right here. But it's, did she uh, get... Uh, best actor or actress? Yeah, That's a good question. Very clever, John. I like that. <laughs> that was up in the air, you know. They had to create a third category. <laughs> it's like neuter. <laughs> best transgendered leading role. And uh, that was directed by Duncan Tucker. It's a 2005 film, rated R, 103 minutes, and it's really good. I, I recommend it. Everybody check it out. Duncan Tucker. Is that his name or is that what he does? <laughs> but um boom John's full of them today. <laughs> Tag my wife, please. <laughs> it just struck me as funny. Duncan Tucker. <laughs> Poor woman. Make the noise a sheep makes when it explodes Duncan <laughs> sis, Tucker <laughs> sis boom ba a monk yeah. a clone and a Ferengi walk into a bar <laughs> oh man yeah okay. so what else is what else is going on 
Um, not a whole lot. My my family and I, we've been playing a lot of board games lately. Um, uh, another colleague of mine, different one from the, the one who told me about The Godfather, he's into um, what's called German-style board games. Have you heard of this phenomenon? I have not. Yeah, they're these uh, very classic board games, and they're called German-style because a lot of them are coming from Germany, uh, but they're not necessarily uh, all made in Germany. But they're done with um, very basic rules. Uh, usually they've got you know wildly illustrated boards, nice high-quality wooden pieces, um, strategy in mind. Um, but, but we've got a couple of them. There's one that, I, that I'm partial to. It's called Carcassonne. It's like a French uh, peasant village thing, and you build up these tiles. But anyways, we've been playing these games a lot, and they're pretty addictive. And you can play them in about 30 minutes. It's not like Monopoly, which takes you know 15 hours. And you or Risk, like or some of or our risk. some of our role-playing things we used to do 15 years ago. I know, that, that would take 50 hours, and you had to slog through things, and you'd get so fed up, you'd say, I kill everyone. That's right. <laughs> You but know, yeah, these are great games. You should try them out. I should, and you know what? The the idea that they're 30 minutes or they can be played in a relatively short amount of time appeals to me because although I have a, a long attention span for some things, the lo long games don't really interest me anymore. That's why a lot of the computer games, a lot of the computer role-playing games don't interest me because they just want to be played forever, and I don't want to play them forever. Yeah, well, and that's what the appeal of these games is. That, you know, they're the complete opposite of computer games. You don't You don't get sucked into it. Um, they they actually uh, they they lend themselves to you know social engagement because you're with a real person in front of you. Uh, they don't take a whole lot of time to learn. You can learn them very very quickly because the rules aren't that complex. It's kind of like chess in that way where you know there are a few different kind of kind of moves, but learning the strategy and, and mastering it is the thing that takes a long time. But or go, the, or go. That's even yeah, more which basic. is might even more uh, apropos because yeah. chess is is a little bit more complicated. Yeah, but if everyone uh, wikis, is that a, is that a verb now? Can people like Google? Yeah, I'm gonna make that up. I'm coining that. You heard that here first. If you wiki German style board games, you will uh, you'll find a wealth of information. Cool. Hey, we do have something else. It's like St. Patrick's Day. It's our St. Patty's Day show. Oh, still be lucky charms. Top of the morning to you. Of course, all of our Irish listeners are offended. That's right. And as they're shoveling their driveways, since we had a heck of a storm on St. Paddy's weekend here in New York, a lot of the Northeast, we had another one of those Nor'easters. Right. We have the, uh, the Syracuse St. Patrick's Day Parade is going on today. Yeah? You going? Uh, no. You going to toboggan over there? <laughs> Skate on over? No, I will not. We got about three or four inches in front of our house right now. Well, you want to shovel that there, mister. Nah, it'll melt. Well, speaking of St. Patty's Day, you want to blow into a tune? Yeah, let's rock it. All right, here we go. We're going to rock it. Well, I met a girl named Kylie, and she had a rib on a piper, but she tended to get frustrated when the bass drum got in the way, because she loved to watch him play. From his gillies to his flashes, there he looked so young and fair. But it was the dimples at his knees made a young mind wander up there. I thought, Kylie, Kylie, why not take me? I may not be a piper, but I sure know how to play. Diddle-lay-day-day, day 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 day
to get frustrated boom, 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 when my love's heart is in the way cause she loves to watch me play and from my gillies to my flashes there she says you look so young and fair and it is the dimples at your knees make my young mind wander up there I say silly silly they look at you angel not me I'll never be a harper but I sure know how to play well I met a girl named Kylie and she had her eye on the piper but she tend to get frustrated when the bass drum get in the way. But she loved to watch him play. What was that one called, John? That song comes from a land far, far away. <laughs> Canada. So It was uh, called Kylie from Canadian Celtic Cowboy. Holy alliteration, Batman. Wow. Now, is this guy somebody who, is he like an artist that's actually out performing, or was this like kind of a one-off wonder you found on Podsafe Music Network? I, it was on Podsafe Music Network. I don't know anything more about it other than that it's Canadian, and he's Celtic, and there's a cowboy thing in there. Well, it captured the spirit of the season for me. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to the words, they're pretty funny, too. Yeah. Good stuff. So, main topic. Topic? Du jour. Freedom of speech. Wow. We've talked about free speech before, right? Oh, I'm hearing some more of that. Occasionally. I'm hearing some more of that Skype echo. So that's like speech twice. It's double your speech if you get an echo. Double your pleasure. That's right. And I mentioned something in the, the Dixie Chicks film, Shut Up and Sing, that kind of struck me. And it's something that I've been thinking about ever since. I tend to think in the abstract a lot about what, are, what does something really mean? Like, what was that whole Bill Clinton, it, what does the mean? Or what was the one word they were questioning the meaning of? Depends on what your definition of is is. <laughs> yeah, right. The to be verb. But this has nothing to do with to be. This has to do with free speech. And I remember there was sort of a Southern guy protesting outside of one of their concerts in the South. And, and that's a good place for a Southern guy to be. And the interviewer of the movie or whoever was running the camera for the uh, documentary was interviewing some of the people outside. And he asked about free speech. And this man said, free speech is fine, as long as you don't do it in a foreign country and as long as you don't do it in a public place. Hmm. Hmm. Well, what does that leave us? Um, you're free to say whatever you want as long as it's not in front of anyone. But how can that even be? I mean, are there any rules on free speech? Yes, of course, right? Oliver Wendell Holmes, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's right. And that seems reasonable, yeah? Right, and it, and it wasn't... I don't think that that was meant to be taken literally. It was it was meant to be taken as you can't you can't um, exercise your freedom of speech if your exorcism of that speech is actually infringing on someone else's rights. Right, and I, I mean or that put someone in harm. But that's a valid example. I mean, that would be a real world example. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. I mean, okay, that works for me. If somebody were to do that, clearly, he would be you know, not exercising free speech and would be harming potentially other people. But what's the big deal about exercising free speech on foreign soil? I know all of the right-wing ideologues made a big deal about it when, uh, what's her name there, the actress, Ted Turner's ex-wife, Jane Fonda. Oh, Jane Fonda. Yeah, everybody made a big deal about her protesting 
against the Vietnam War on foreign soil, and everybody made a big deal when Bill Clinton was protesting something. I think he was in Russia, right, as a student or something? He might have been protesting the Vietnam War in Russia yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I think he visited that during his scholarship or something like that. Yeah, his Rhodes Scholar stuff. And I mean, my question is, first of all, where is it written that you can't exercise free speech on foreign soil? I mean, it seems to me if you've given up any rights to free speech on foreign soil, it's because their free speech laws are different than ours. And those would be the only ways in which your right to free speech would differ. Yeah? I mean, does that make sense? Right, and and I agree, and I think that if if someone listens to what you're saying, they could they could be very reactionary and say, oh, geez, well, he's un-American. Well, you know, there's a difference between someone being able to exercise that free speech and someone doing something distasteful or something that you don't like. You know, you can disagree with what they're saying, you can disagree with the venue that they chose, but you can't say that they're not allowed to do that. Right. I mean, again, the only person who would be able to censor free speech on foreign soil would be their authorities if you've somehow broken their laws, you know. So I I don't get the whole you can't do it on foreign soil thing. I'm still waiting for somebody to give me a good reason why you can't do that. And I suspect the answer is going to be because. Well, it is because. It's it's kind of like, you know. Because, 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 because. You can call your your mom a jerk, but if someone else calls your mom a jerk, it's the same thing. You know, it, in it, within our own four walls, so to speak, you can you can uh, have a debate about what's right and wrong. But if you go out to someone else and tell them that that's taken as a as an insult, distasteful. That's you know, taking, airing the family laundry. <laughs> it's exactly what it is, basically. But the, disagreeing with your president is not family laundry, though. I mean, that's. The president's policies are public, and being able to disagree with it, of course, has been a, a, the backbone of, of democracy. I mean, at least it should be the backbone of democracy, or at least a rib. <laughs> I think it's um, probably the vertebrae. It's, <laughs> it's the, the shin bone. <laughs> it's, it's the third vertebrae down from the, from the it's, neck. It's the fourth metatarsal. <laughs> that, that's what it is. It's a toe. <laughs> it's the toe bone. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, again, I, I agree with you in principle, but it's one of those things where it could be taken as distasteful to, to, um, I don't know, speak out against your president. It's, it's, it's almost taken as being disloyal, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's illegal, and I don't think that someone should be legally punished for it. Okay, so what speech can you exercise? On foreign soil, then, is it that you can only not criticize the president? You, you can't criticize the government at all? I mean, are you allowed to talk about the color of the foliage? I mean, what is it no, that you, you're allowed no, to you do? Can. You, you can. I don't think that that person, whoever it was in that movie, which I didn't see, I don't think they were saying that they're not allowed to. They're just saying they didn't like it. Maybe they, they didn't express it that well. Yeah, but I think if you asked him and really cornered him, maybe after he had a few glasses of wine with Borat... He would probably reveal his true feelings and say something like, yeah, he doesn't think it should be allowed. You know, well, let's examine the second half of what he said. I like free speech as long as you don't do it on foreign soil and as long as you don't do it in a public place. Well, if you can't exercise your free speech in a public place, why have free speech? Well, the person's obviously misguided. But, you know, he's not the only person that I hear saying that. I hear this kind of stuff all the time. I remember back years ago, you know, probably 15, I used to work with this guy named Howie. And he was a big apologist for the original George Bush, the senior George Bush. And I remember, 
God, I don't know. It was, it was a news conference, and some reporter actually did his job and dared challenge one of his policies. You know, is it really true? It can't be true if this and this and that. And I remember how he came into work the next day, and he was livid. You, you don't ask difficult questions of your president on national TV. Uh, okay. That's what this country was founded on. Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I would just like to get these people on the show and have them qualify all of their reasons. You know, where is it okay? Is it is it okay to criticize the president in Puerto Rico because it's a, a U.S. Um, it's a protectorate, I think. Yeah, it's a U.S. protectorate. Is it okay to do it in Guam? Alaska and Hawaii even? I mean, non-continental United States? Where is it cool? Where isn't it cool? And why isn't it cool? You can say anything you want, and you can even say it in public, as long as you are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, not on a boat. Treading water, near a school of sharks. No, you have to be at least six feet under. Uh Oh, Oh, I get it. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I, I see these things, and I just wonder what people are thinking. And, I mean, what sort of education did they get where they think that it's not okay to exercise free speech. It really troubles me. I mean, I I spend hours thinking about this kind of thing. Well, those people, I suspect, are the same kind of people who think that free speech only means that you can say damn on television, or it means that... uh, Now, you can can say more than that now. I've heard Sipowitz use the word douchebag and asshole on NYPD Blue. And I wouldn't say those words in public. And those words are more inflammatory than, you know, questioning the the president's uh, policies, I think. You wouldn't say douchebag in public? No. What about if you were reading a Saturday Night Live script? Uh, I'd read it to myself. Lord and lady. (laughs) Come on, that was a funny bit. It was, but I I still wouldn't read it out loud. I think that that they think that free speech means that you can wear a T-shirt that says, you know, born in the USA or something. And, And it doesn't mean that you can say anything offensive. People don't understand that free speech means absolutely that you're allowed to say things that are offensive because the the whole thing that we, that the country was founded on was uh, because people were being put in jail and killed when they were saying things that were offensive to their, their leadership. That's why they left Europe and came to the New World. I mean, I'm an absolutist on free speech. I really am. I, I feel very strongly about this. And free speech means even the things that are most offensive to you should be able to be uttered out loud. And I mean politically. Obviously, if you're with your children and you're in a church and somebody starts mother F, you know, that's not cool. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is legitimate exercise of free speech, political discourse, intellectual discourse, things like that. Well, and, and you know, I'm not saying that, that I'm necessarily an absolutist because I'm sure that someone could come to me somewhere down the line and and give me a scenario where I say, yeah, well, you're right. That's not right. But I think that I agree. And even the case where someone does go into a church and says, starts uttering, you know, foul profanities to someone in front of your kids, I think that they have the right to do that. But they also have to understand that there are consequences to that. There are a lot of people who are not going to be happy with that. Well, they may reaction. They may not have the right to do that. That's private property. And the people who own that property can exercise you know, their right to exclude you from being able to say that. What about in a public park, though? Right. If, if you're sitting there with your kids and you, you start uttering nonsense like that in front of kids, well, you have the right to do that. And the people have the right to say something to you and call you a name as well and walk away. And if you take that argument and you expand it out, you have the right to, to go in front of the president and say, I think that you're 
I don't know, responsible for the deaths of thousands, and I think that tens of thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands, and I think that you're a disgusting human being. Um, in the old world, you would have been carted away before you got even close to the president. You would have been thrown in the trough of justice. <laughs> that's, that's right. Theodoric <laughs> of York, medieval barber. You'd be thrown into the cave of per- perpetual tickling or something. Well, what about know. if what about if a, like a little green man appears out of nowhere and calls you a knee biter? <laughs> He'd be right. <laughs> and, and that's just it. You have the right to say whatever you want. In and front you, of you want. You have the, the right to remain part. silent. That's not the first time you've heard that. Come on now. <laughs> And, and and you have the right also as the person receiving that that, uh, that free speech to be offended. Actually, there is precedent for not being able to use expletives too frequently. I remember a court case about 10 years ago. It might have been a, a park in Chicago or something. Not unlike Central Park where there's like a lagoon and there's people on the little paddle boats and there's people picnicking around the outside of the little pond and things like that. Apparently, a guy was in a canoe or something and he went over into the water and he just started going, Mother, and he literally did like 50 swear words in a row, literally, like a minute's worth of swearing. And a, a judge found him, whatever, guilty of, you know, using public obscenities too much because the judge said it would have been okay if you said it, you know, 10 of them, but 50 in that company with all the children around was inappropriate. And he was censured in some way, you know, a fine or something. Well, you know, and, and like I said, every case is is unique. And in that case... Well, what if there were other people there in the lake? They couldn't necessarily rapidly get their kids away from it. They couldn't. They couldn't shelter their ears. And if the guy's going on for several minutes, then you know it's almost like they're trapped, and they they can't they can't even protect their kids from that. So. Well, well, I I feel that that sort of behavior is sort of lowbrow and inappropriate. You know, I still don't have a problem with swear words. You know, I use them occasionally. John knows I swear like a truck driver off mic. <laughs> As do some of our listeners, I bet. Especially he, the he, ones with handguns. He, he swears like a truck driver on mic, but he has the editing station in front of him. That's right. I edit, and you don't even know I've edited. That's the beauty of editing, at least you know if you can do it. Well, anyway, I just kind of wanted to explore that whole free speech thing. And if you guys have any thoughts on free speech and what's appropriate and inappropriate, and if you're in different countries, I know at least one of our listeners is, what are your free speech rules? What is the uh, the etiquette and law in Australia, for example? Yeah, is, is it actually in the Constitution like it pretty much is in ours? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea, for example. Hey, speaking of MIA and swearing, Chris still has not feedbacked us. <laughs> <laughs> we're t- we're turning words into all sorts of verbs. <laughs> he hasn't feedbacked us. <laughs> so, a, a, he's either probably not listening anymore, which seems like the most likely, or B, he's ignoring us. So it's one of the two. Or three, he's trapped under a heavy object. <laughs> he might be, and he might have to do an amputation with a pocket knife. Right. He'll be on the Carson show. Or the Leno show. That one, too. Or Carcinio. <laughs> that was the funniest bit ever. Yes, on Ed McMahon's Dance Machine. Next, it's Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> and I remember oh, Ed had like a flat top spike. It was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So you want to blow into another track? Yeah, let's kick it, bro. All right, say it again. Kick it, bro. I'll 
pick a fight with you just for the fun You need a reason that I'll give you one I'll beat your body like it was a drum I'm all the friends that I got I like a drink with my prescription pills They are the little fire to my will Still, people treat me like some imbecile I'm all the friends that I got Psychopathic, stone-damp, spastic personality If I had an agent, I'd be some celebrity I like to say just what I want to say If you don't like it, then just go away If I'm annoying you, then please don't stay I'm all the friends that I got smooth kind of jazzy i'm all the friends that i get kind of makes me want to have a drink with my prescriptions <laughs> that's right wash it down with a little bit of hooch <laughs> that was uh jeff dehurt dehurt dehaired i don't know there's no pronunciation guide um on PodSafe music network it's d-e-h-e-r-d-t it's kind of like earnhardt but dehurt and what was it called again i'm all the friends that i got yeah, that's a classic blues theme, you know, the whole loneliness thing. So it had a little bluesy overtone, too. But he was reveling in his loneliness. He was. He seems to enjoy it. <laughs> it wasn't like the typical blues thing, like, you know, woe is me, or no. a country thing, like, woe is me, and I think I'll have a drink. Boom, chicka boom, chicka boom, chicka boom. 
the whole Johnny Cash. Hi, my name's Johnny Cash. He had some great tunes. He did have some great tunes. And what I love about Johnny Cash is that if you went to see him in concert, in his last concert or whatever, where he played his normal set, everybody on stage would have been the guys that were with him in 1955. Oh, yeah? The only guy who wasn't on stage with him was his guitarist. The original guitarist died in a house fire in 1968, so he was replaced. But he may have expanded the band, but the guys who started out with him played with him until the very end. And I, I like that. That's all about loyalty, and I think that's really cool. And there were probably better players out there, but that's not what it's about. Well, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that his music was about, you know, being virtuosos and, and uh, breaking it down and, and doing solos. It was all about the message of the song and yeah. the groove. He didn't need the Dixie Dregs behind him. No. Although that would have been kind of fun. Have you ever heard the Frank Zappa cover of uh, Ring of Fire? <laughs> I think I have. Uh, I forget what record it's on, but they were in the same hotel with Johnny Cash, and they had asked Johnny Cash. They were introduced on the elevator or something, and they had asked, Frank had asked him if he would perform Ring of Fire with us tomorrow, and he agreed. So Frank stayed up all night doing an arrangement of it for the horns and the big band, and you know, because Frank travels with a huge horn section and a gigantic band. But I, I don't know. Somebody must have said something to Cash about Zappa because he pulled a no-show, but Frank did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Frank played it anyway, and it's a really good version. Yeah, it's it's got that kind of uh, Mexican mariachi band feel. Yep, yep. Not written by him, written by the woman. Yes, June Carter. Later known as June Carter Cash, currently residing in the Where Are They Now file. No, both deceased. It's a pity. So yeah. I saw a really interesting film last night, and if Stanley Kubrick made a documentary, it would be this. Was it... Uh in space? No, it wasn't in space, but Kubrick has a, sort of a, a unique style about the cinematography and the way things are captured. And one of the things he likes is symmetry. He'll often do a, a camera shot of a, a particular scene and everything will be perfectly symmetrical in it. And he'll stay there longer than the typical director would stay or after editing would stay on a particular shot, you know. And this film was a documentary. It was called Our Daily Bread, and it's a, a German-Austrian co-production directed by Nicholas Gerhata. 92 minutes, not rated. It's from 2005, and it's all about the sort of corporate food system that we have in place now. You know, it's not like farmers and milkmaids churning butter. It's big, gigantic tractors and pesticides and, you know, all of this technology and automation being applied to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like... Uh multinational corporations owning the farms like Monsanto. Yeah, that kind of others. stuff. In McDonald's, I talked about that before because that book, Fast Food Nation, dealt with this uh, quite in depth, how McDonald's single-handedly changed the way food was grown and distributed in the U.S. Because they have such a huge demand for potatoes, for example, and hamburger patties, they completely changed the way meat is cut and handled and delivered and all that. But this film took a little bit different take on it. There was no narration. There was virtually no dialogue in this film. Each scene was a, like a little 30-second vignette, all of its own, and there were about 180 of them, or, yeah, that would make about 90 minutes. There were about 180 of them back-to-back, -back, and they showed everything from spraying the fields with pesticides to people picking the foods to slaughterhouses, actual animals being slaughtered, and just little shots of mundane little shots of the workers 
on lunch, just eating a sandwich. I remember there was this, this was all done in Germany, by the way. None of this was done in the U.S. And I remember they were in one of the pork slaughterhouses and they were capturing a woman eating her sandwich on lunch. And she was kind of cute because she couldn't not laugh. She just kept smiling, but trying to hold it in. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. But I don't know how to describe this film other than to say horrifying. I mean, as a vegetarian, I found at least half of the little 30-second vignettes in this film to be pretty horrifying. And most of them were in the slaughterhouses and or meatpacking plants. But I mean, even the way vegetables are handled wasn't entirely cool. But I feel a little better eating those vegetables than I do eating the meat and whatnot that comes out of these slaughterhouses. Well, yeah, you know, the old saying that you know, if everyone saw how sausage was made, no one would eat sausage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I mean, this film is going to disturb a lot of you. If any of you have a heart, <laughs> have a soul, which, you know, that's debatable. But, you know, if you're a living human person, well, how about this, for example? You know, they showed how the cows are killed, and they have, like, this sort of pneumatic thing that, is, from what I can tell and from what I've read, it's like a little pneumatic you know, like a 10-inch long thing, like a lightsaber handle you hold in your hand, and it's got a little pneumatic 10-inch spike that comes out, and that's how they kill the cows, right? So basically, we got to witness that. The cow is being held by his neck, and this guy taps this thing on its head, and then the cow starts spasming, and then it falls down, and then we get to see the joy of the animal then tipped over in this machine, put on a conveyor belt, and then lifted up and hoisted by its back legs to go be eviscerated. You know what I mean? But my question to you is, how can anybody who has to do that every day go home and not be affected by that? How can you be a well-adjusted human being and yet your job is killing mm, 30, 40, 50 living, breathing things every day. I mean, that's the question I want an answer to. Yeah, I, I suspect that there are, they have to tell themselves that, you know, they're animals and they were put on this earth to feed humans. And that's, you know, the, the natural course of things. And humans are at the top of the food chain and it's a natural thing to do because animals kill animals. Yeah. Well, I mean. Same, same arguments you get from any, anyone else who eats meat. They'll say that. You know, why were animals put on this earth? Well, to serve humans. So, I don't know. To serve man. It's a cookbook. I don't know, though. I just don't see how this can't affect you. I mean, you can put up all of, you can live in denial as much as you want and justify it by, like, I'm a meat eater. That's meat. That's what I do. I eat burgers. This can't bug me. But I don't see how, at the heart of it, doing this day in, day out can't affect you, you know, can't make you less of a person. Well, you can deny it all you want, but I don't see how it can't do that. I don't know. The other thing I found interesting was the range of, reviews that I saw when I searched for reviews on this film. Like all, always, I'm curious to know what other people thought of these films. And while I found it thoroughly disturbing, I recommended and I, I enjoyed it, for lack of a better word. The range of reviews was interesting because you found, well, first of all, I didn't find the typical number of reviews. Not as many people saw this film. But the reviews I found had an interesting range, much like mine, where perhaps it was a vegetarian who was horrified right up to someone who was just apologizing for it. You know, isn't it a beauty of modern technology and automation? This film is cool, you know? I mean, I just found it an interesting range. Well, yeah, it just it's the way that you described it is it, it's kind of like a painting. You know, you're going to see what you want to see in that abstract painting. And that's exactly know? the intention that the director had, and that's why he did no dialogue overdubs or anything like that. If you do hear any dialogue, it's probably in German, it's very rare, and it's very much in the background. Maybe you hear a few whispers between two of the workers or something like that. But that's it. It's a very surreal experience. You're very isolated. And I mean, I think if Kubrick made a documentary, it would have had this feel, you know? 
<laughs> I can't kill that cow, Dave. <laughs> Speaking of Kubrick, I saw a scene for the farmer astronaut. Astronaut uh, farmer. The astronaut farmer, and it was a, a scene of him in his space helmet with all the lights reflecting off the glass. And I was like, well, that's clearly an homage to 2001. Yeah, well, that's another film that I'm probably never going to see on purpose. It got good reviews. Yeah, and it got horrible ones, too. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the horrible ones yet. I've only seen good reviews. I've seen about what are five. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Who's that? Kevin Smith? Does he own that? I, I think he has something to do with it. I don't know. Well, anyways, it's those are Rotten Tomatoes has a lot of the film reviews sort of aggregated as well as you can put post your own. Yeah, and that's and, where and rank the films. Right. And then you can click on it to see the full article. Mm-hmm. And that is where you know, you go see a film like The Astronaut Farmer and there's gonna be twenty different critics having their reviews online. But when I when I went to Rotten Tomatoes for our Daily Bread, there was only like three reviews or four <laughs> reviews on there. It was actually kind of interesting, so not a lot of people saw the film. At the huh. same time, I think people should be made to see this film. I mean, they should be made to see where their food is coming from. I mean, I don't think it's right that people should just be able to push it aside and not have to think about it or worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they should be you know, basically held down in a chair with their eyes held open with eye drops put in it. Yeah, exactly. While and the film Beethoven is playing. Is playing. Yeah. Yeah, another anyway, Kubrick reference. Yeah, it is. We made that one a couple of weeks ago, too. Yeah, well, we people have to do that every week. So does that sound like the kind of film you would watch? I mean, even th- with Knowing the Knowing what you said, yeah, I couldn't watch it. Really? I couldn't even watch it. No yeah. Way. I mean, when they killed the cow, they did it once, and then for some reason they wanted to show it again, as if once wasn't enough. And I really had to look away. I mean, I had to look away the second time. I guess I knew what was coming the first time, and I don't know. I don't know why I didn't look away there. But it's it's pretty disturbing. I mean, you might want to rent it and just not watch those scenes. It, it is possible because they're only about thirty seconds each. Mm, but just to just to I don't know. capture the feel of the film. Well, in that case, I'm going to make you do it. I'm going to hold your eyes open with little forcep tools and then play Beethoven. Good. I never liked Beethoven. That's right, Beethoven. So anyway, what do you think? That's a show. Tis a show. I think it is. All right. So you've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Check out the forum, bloodyveg.com slash forum. Send us feedback, Chris. <laughs> feedback at bloodyveg.com. Yes, make sure that you feedback us. That's right. And you can Google us or... Wiki. Wiki us. That's right. I don't think we're on Wiki yet. Nah, we should do that. Yeah, we're going to have to try that. So hopefully the cellar will be fixed soon. I'm anxious to get together and drink some wine. I know. It's going to be a while. Well, remember, you're listening to the VIB. 